This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Taking a principled stand to meet political conflict. A collection of three articles by John Horvath II. Today, the Return to Order Moment turns to the realm of the political. We are not interested in any particular candidate or party, but rather in the principles that motivate political behavior. In the first of these articles, Mr. Horvat makes the case that morals and principles are necessary in order to cut through the illusions of our chaotic political environment. Then, in the second and third articles, he critically examines the political attitudes and positions of both conservatives and liberals. All three articles are being read by Edwin Benson. So first, we present This is Why We Can Have No Illusions About Today's Crisis by John Horvath II. This text is part of the talk, Battling for God's Glory While Waiting for Our Lady's Intervention, that was presented by Mr. Horvath at the American TFP's National Conference held in Pennsylvania on October 26 to 27, 2019. The present crisis in America compels me to present a consideration about surviving in our world of chaos. It has three words. Have no illusions. Look at the battlefield and have no illusions about the world that surrounds us. That means never adopt an overly optimistic or pessimistic vision of what you see. See society for what it is, and it is not a pretty picture. Someone might say that this is an easy thing to do, since our modern society is very brutal and cruel to those who want to practice the faith. No one here has any illusions about our secular society that denies God. In theory, this is true, but in practice it does not always work that way. We can have illusions. As defined by Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira in his book Revolution and Counter-Revolution, the revolution often advances by creating illusions and gradually putting us to sleep so that we won't react to outrages and thus accept its agenda. Or sometimes the revolution creates illusions to get you to accept the next small step in the process. I would like to propose three types of illusion that we should reject. The first illusion involves material prosperity. It is very tempting. It says that there is nothing wrong with society because everything works fine. We have a very efficient and highly organized society. We have the largest economy in the world. We are now enjoying economic prosperity. We have every modern convenience. Except in California, you turn the lights on and they come on. The message is... Just enjoy life. Don't worry about moral problems. Think only about material comfort. There is no battlefield. On the battlefield, you don't normally find comfortable chairs, air conditioning, and other amenities. And so, there is no crisis. Everything is going to be all right. Life can be so comfortable that we don't need to wait for Our Lady's triumph. A second kind of illusion is that of normality. It says that we can fit in and be normal in the face of an agenda that undermines our Catholic faith. This illusion of normality consists in thinking that everything is normal and without problems. Again, the revolution encourages us to think in those terms so that the most abnormal things can advance. 
Think of drag queen story hours. There are those who say, no problem. It is a normal expression of our First Amendment rights. Accept it. It's not a horrific corruption of youth. The message is, just be normal. Don't worry about moral problems. If you have moral problems, just put on a show that everything is normal and act like you are enjoying life. The logic behind Facebook and other social media is this. Everyone posts normal pictures of themselves enjoying life. The revolution creates the illusion of universal happiness. Can't you see? Everyone is enjoying life. If you are not happy, I think you are the problem, not society. We expect and are expected to be happy. However, deep down, everyone knows it is not true. We only need to look at the incredible suicide and opioid statistics to know that something is seriously not normal in society today. Everyone has major problems that need to be addressed and for which only the church has remedies. A final type of illusion is what might be called the jumpstart illusion. The message is, okay, there is a problem, but it isn't that bad. All we need to do is tweak the system, and we will get it back up and running like it used to run. The big problem with this illusion is that the revolution has so undermined basic structures like the family, community, and the church. It is almost impossible to go back to the way it was before without some kind of major intervention. Thus, we must reject all three of these illusions. If we do this, we will see the need for Our Lady's intervention as was foreseen at Fatima. We can then endure the wait for Our Lady's triumph. One practical thing you might do is to keep a list of illusion breakers to help when the temptation of illusions occurs. Keep, perhaps even write down a list of those things that you see, read, or hear that will help you break the illusions. What will be on the list? Think about things that are so horrible that it leads you to say that we are not going to fix this without Our Lady's help. Items on the list can be something national or international. It can be an article, a picture, a video that impacted you. It can be a personal experience or a small flash of grace in which God directed you to see clearly something you did not see before. Keep all these things guarded in your heart to use against the illusion of comfort and normality. Use them when you are told that things are not that bad. These things will help you remain sane in a crazy world. Thus, I will present you with my list of ten illusion breakers. 1. Think of those things related to Holy Mother Church. I can never forget the devastating quote, Who am I to judge? 2. The scene of wild applause and cheering in the New York State Legislature as the state's Catholic governor signed the nation's most radical abortion law last January. That is seared in my memory. 3. Elizabeth Warren being received by Planned Parenthood personnel singing to her on her birthday. Four, or when I saw Senator Warren recently tell a nine-year-old transgendered boy who is really a girl, congratulations. Five, the governor of Virginia, a medical doctor, telling a radio audience the process by which doctors put children to death when born alive after an abortion. Six, 
Pictures of drag queen story hours. 7. The national debt and the fact that no one cares anymore that it is over $23 trillion. 8. A relative that adopted a completely immoral lifestyle. 9. How about an old one that stayed on my list for a long time? When the Democratic Party denied God three times in a vote on one of its platform items. 10. How about my most recent addition? A pagan ceremony in the Vatican at the Amazon Synod. These are all items that help break illusions. I would add a word of caution, however. These items should be illusion breakers, not soul crushers. I am not asking you to enter into a spiral of depression and anxiety by contemplating the horrors around us. If you just do this alone, it can cause anxiety and crush souls. That is not my objective. You will also need to adopt other more positive measures to give yourself balance. A second word of caution is that this fighting without illusions also means avoiding negative illusions. We cannot take an unrealistically pessimistic attitude that the whole system is so completely rotten that it is better to throw in the towel and give up. Having no illusions means seeing things as they are, head on. Having such an attitude brings clarity to the fight. This realistic way of looking at the fight only highlights the fact that our real solution lies in Our Lady's intervention. Remember, everyone has a major problem in our society. Otherwise, they would not be there. There are no exceptions. They are all in some way engaged in the culture war. To be effective in our actions, we must adopt a realistic attitude. End of This is Why We Can Have No Illusions About Today's Crisis. Now we present Our Conservative Soul Searching in the Wrong Places by John Horvath II. A brutal business climate and societal breakdown have brought major changes to America. In response, many Americans, especially conservatives, are soul searching for something more compassionate for those left behind. Unfortunately, they are looking in the most unlikely places, business and government. They will likely be searching for a long time. The controversy over this shift in mentality erupted with the publication of a Wall Street Journal advertisement in which major firms pledge a commitment to stakeholder capitalism, which holds that businesses should be run having all society, not just shareholders, in mind. Senator Marco Rubio stirred the pot with his recent speech at Catholic University, where he explored what he called common good capitalism. The thesis is that the modern American economy does not care for everyone. It falls short by concentrating only on return on investment to shareholders. Businesses need to think in terms of more general obligations to workers and community, the stakeholders in the overall economy. Since businesses cannot provide for all social needs, state systems must also be put in place. The soul-searchers say that it is time to admit that the federal government might indeed have a role in helping those left behind. Such thinking is especially hard for conservatives to accept. It challenges the reigning orthodoxy that has long held to low taxation, decreased federal spending, scrapping socialist government meddling and regulation, and free and fair markets as a means of providing for the common good. 
The movement maintains a Reagan-esque distrust of government and a rightful distaste for its eternal programs. The libertarian right relegates the solving of most problems to markets. However, there is no denying that something is missing from today's superficial and materialistic society. Countless people are suffering materially and especially spiritually, whether it be from anxiety, depression, opioids, or family breakup. Society seems to have lost its soul, hence the searching. As a result, many conservatives now question old assumptions about market reliability or the evils of government social largesse. They are looking for new models for business and government to help find a soul for society that will help people cope. They assume that these are the only two institutions from which all solutions flow. These are strange places to look for solutions. Modern economy and government are sterile institutions built on mechanical models and systems. To have recourse to them is to look for materialistic solutions for spiritual problems. Modern capitalism as it now operates is not meant to be soulful. It is meant to produce material stuff, lots of stuff. It works like a machine producing efficiently, quickly, and abundantly. Modern markets scatter the globe, looking to maximize efficiency and distribute risks. While such efforts do benefit society greatly, their primary purpose is directed toward trading, not giving. Markets work in the function of commutative justice. This form of justice requires a fair exchange of goods or services between contracting parties. It facilitates transactions by requiring, as nearly as may be, a near-equal payment be rendered for the near-equal value of a good or service. Markets do not work in function of charity. Charity cannot govern economic transactions since, for an economy to function justly, each party must be strictly given its due. To insist that charity be made part of economic theory would be to put the charitable at a disadvantage and leave the marketplace in the hands of the hard-hearted or dishonest. Thus, Efforts to baptize modern capitalism by insisting on integrating charity into its program will inevitably fail. Soul-searching conservatives might encourage entrepreneurs to practice charity in their dealings, as indeed many do. However, the cold mechanical processes of modern capitalism remain morally indifferent and soulless. They will not renew the face of the earth, no matter how they are tweaked. The same comments can be made about modern government. If any institution can be called soulless, it is the anonymous bureaucratic machinery of big government. Its bloated systems offer to be everything to everyone while suffering from a lack of the efficiency of business. A government is supposed to be the political system and institutions by which the state is administered and regulated. It should be oriented toward the common good by providing a general framework by which society can prosper. It is not directed toward giving, but administering. The sad reality is that modern government is usually big government. It does not provide for the common good, but buries it under its massive structures. Decades of social programs have proven that big government, like markets, is not meant to work in function of charity. Big government distributes its largesse with cold indifference and sterile rules. 
once entrenched, its self-perpetuating programs tend to prolong, not diminish poverty at great cost to the nation. Looking for America's lost soul in business and government is not the right move. These institutions themselves are not bad, but they are directed to other purposes. The modern versions of these institutions are further handicapped by their cold mechanical structures and systems that can lead to abuse and frenetic intemperance. Some conservatives have the idea that their message can be more palatable if it is dressed up with secularized systems of charity and government oversight. However, to replace one mechanical system with another does not address the soulless component that is missing. That is not to say that these institutions cannot be instruments for a return to a more soulful America. Like all instruments, their use depends on the motives of those using them. The human element is the most crucial part of their functioning. If America is to find its soul, a moral regeneration is needed that will address the causes of society's breakdown. It should not focus on systems. As it stands, everything is upside down. Soul searchers must seek out those institutions that are especially directed toward moral regeneration, not the mechanical workings of society. The God-given institutions of the family and the Catholic Church are two important natural regenerators that work in function of charity. They can transform society. When all society is infused with family-like relationships and religious moral observance, business and government can play their essential role in fostering but not controlling virtuous life in common. However, such a message is not what people want to hear. It involves restraint, sacrifice, responsibility, and accountability amid a culture that teaches the contrary. It is much easier to solve problems by creating stopgap aid programs that never stop. Better to tweak the system than to revamp fundamentals. Only true Christian charity can overcome the selfish interests that cloud the soul-searching process. For charity is that supernatural virtue by which people love God above all things for his own sake and their neighbors as themselves for the love of God. The present soul-searching must either lead to God or end in failure. End of Are Conservatives Soul-Searching in the Wrong Places? At this point, we turn our focus to modern liberalism in How the Left Gets America's Civil War All Wrong. The influential left-leaning magazine, The Atlantic, just released a special issue highlighting America's polarization. It is meant to shock a deeply divided nation struggling to stay together. How to stop a civil war is the menacing cover story. How America Ends is yet another ominous title among others that analyze the nation's grave internal crisis. The message of the issue is clear. Americans hold conflicting views about what it means to be American. Something must change lest the nation be torn asunder. Inaction can trigger a massive civil war. The dramatic presentation of the December 2019 issue promises to stop a civil war for those looking for a way out of the coming apocalypse. Indeed, those looking for a way out will be disappointed. The featured articles present nothing new in the search for consensus. The left never changes its message. It recycles it mercilessly. Like so many other progressives, The Atlantic seeks to frame the debate in the left's own image and likeness. 
While the writers may not be explicit Marxists, their narratives are typical Marxist boilerplate designed to create tension and friction and advance class struggle. This kind of discussion is not what's needed in today's polarized climate. Indeed, these dangerous narratives do not seek solutions, but surrenders. The fallacies of these recycled narratives need to be unmasked, since these distorted views are shared by so many following the progressive agenda. The first narrative is the Marxist notion of progress of history found in the magazine's pages. The left believes that history will always move forward toward ever more radical forms of equality and freedom. Thus, the past gains of the sexual revolution and the progressive agenda are irrevocable and irreversible. Those who fail to see this truth are irredeemable and, yes, even deplorable. Thus, the article, How America Ends, laments the fact that as history progresses, many resent the changes. Quote, Democracy depends on the consent of the losers, writes author Yanni Applebaum. Losers must accept the results, adjust their ideas, and move on. However, the present losers happen to be conservatives, who have won election after election and enacted heartbeat after heartbeat bill. They refuse to play along with the march of history in the face of more recent setbacks. Thus, they are told that they threaten the future of American democracy. By framing the debate in terms of the march of history, the Atlantic issue reflects the left's obsession for historical determinism. Its writers reduce everything to irrevocable historical processes. The whole debate is simplified as the plight of a, quote, historically dominant group that is on its way to becoming a political minority, unquote. Even civility should be sacrificed in the name of historical process. Adam Serwer claims that civility is often used as a way to hinder the progress of those fighting for their rights. To him, reconciliation must be rejected as another word for surrender. Applebaum's claim that democracy depends on the consent of the losers seems to depend on who is losing. Of course, history is neither deterministic nor simplistic. Nothing happens by fate. The annals of history are full of processes that were stalled or reversed. The magazine writers fail to acknowledge, for example, the spectacular failures of socialism, which was relegated to the dustbin of history only to be resurrected by unwary millennials. The second narrative is the rescripting of the class struggle fiction. This dangerous tactic never changes. The rich versus poor struggle is cut and pasted with racial conflict characters. The right is turned into a white ethno-minority threatened by a new, oppressed, multicultural majority. Thus, the Republican Party is caricatured into a racist tool that defends white power structures. This vision sees the future in demographic terms, which again, the authors affirm, assures the doom of the conservative cause as white population share diminishes. From this class struggle perspective, all voters regardless of their positions, are reduced to their racial identity. All white voters are assigned a toxic ideology that fits the new class struggle narrative of white supremacism. The 63 million Americans, yes, from all races and ethnic groups, who voted for President Trump in 2016 are cast as desperate ethno-nationalists who charged the cockpit, Flight 93-like, to regain control of their destiny and the White House. 
Thus, these 2016 voters were not pro-lifers who wanted pro-family judges. They were not defenders of free enterprise who did not want socialist legislation. These voters were not motivated by concern for their children's education. They were not those who would vote for anyone but Hillary. For the left, no one voted for Trump in 2016 for these reasons. For the left, Trump voters are not who they truly were, but who the left says they were. They must be forced into the left's sinister narrative. The Atlantic December 2019 issue is a demonstration of how the left always strives to frame the debate. By forcing people to play racial roles they cannot change, people can be inserted into struggles over which they have no control. This framing fits with the left's fantasy that social or economic structures determine behavior, thus absolving individuals from responsibility. That is why the left avoids moral issues at all costs. Moral issues involve the free will of people that can change the course of history for better or worse. Moral issues involve judgments of good and evil, right and wrong, that have consequences. People assume the results of their acts, be they good or bad. They are truly free. To fight the left, one must break out of the box of tired Marxist narratives. It is time to refuse to be placed into the left's rescripted class struggle categories. All Americans should be free to debate the nation's future as rational individuals and not members of predetermined classes. The best way to break out is to debate the moral issues that the left avoids. The moral law corresponds to human nature and provides for the best possibilities of happiness in this veil of tears. These issues touch on the most sensitive chords that move people to action. Indeed, whenever conservatives have presented moral issues energetically, they prove to be effective means to fight America's culture war and even win elections. When these issues are abandoned, it often leads to defeat. In addition, as guardian of the moral law, the Catholic Church has much to contribute to this conversation. The debate for America's future is too important to be left in the hands of progressive zealots. Their socialist ideologies have already destroyed far too many people. The best way to avoid a civil war is to return the debate to the moral sphere where it belongs. To do anything else increases risks for America. End of Taking a Principled Stand to Meet Political Conflict. A collection of three articles by John Horvat II. Thank you so much for listening. To read these or find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service from which you acquired it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.